This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we begin our Advent season, I'm going to be sharing some words, these next four uh, sermons. Uh, the first one being hope, uh, the second one being peace, the third one being joy, and the fourth one being love. All descriptive of Jesus. And so today's sermon is on Jesus, our hope. I want to begin with a verse from Ephesians 1.18. It says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. From Ephesians 1.18. Now hope is a great word. You may use it from time to time. It is one of the most misused words in the English language. We say things like, I hope so. Much of the time, we are referring to a wishful thinking with little or no certainty at all when we say hope. I hope it rains or I hope it doesn't rain or snow. I hope I don't get sick. I hope I don't get COVID-19. I hope the pastor doesn't preach too long. Now that's wishful thinking. But the Bible uses the word hope over 125 times. We see one of those times in the verse that I began with in Ephesians chapter 1, God has called us to hope. Another verse from uh, the Old Testament in Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. When we are without hope, we can have feelings, obviously, of hopelessness, of despair, of discouragement, unbelief and even doubt maybe you've experienced this at certain times in your life our day-to-day -day experiences or hardships can become overwhelming at times and unless we see that god's purpose is to help and not to harm we may end up discouraged or despaired but praise god god's plans for us include hope not despair in the old testament times god gave hope for the future in promising the coming of a Messiah, of sending, uh, as described, the light into the world, a world full of spiritual darkness, to open the eyes of the spiritually blind. From, from John's Gospel, uh, when Jesus came into the world that we celebrate, of course, at Christmas time, his presence is described as from first John, or excuse me, from John, the Gospel of John, chapter one, a true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And John goes on to describe that those who rejected Jesus are still in darkness, still in despair, without hope, and the sure and certain blessing of life everlasting. But on the other hand, he goes on in that chapter to say in verse 12, Yet to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. We have a relationship with God through trusting in Jesus Christ our Lord. And those who receive him, those who believe in him, find the eyes of their hearts enlightened, able to see spiritually what God has planned for them. Having your eyes open, you're able to know the hope to which God has called you and I. And it's a marvelous blessing for us all. That is the work of the Holy Spirit as he works in our lives. How would we describe that hope? Well, Paul describes it in this way. Again, referring to Ephesians, this time chapter 2. First, he describes what 
the uh, Christians were, past tense, and then he describes what they are. He says in verse 12 of chapter 2, Remember that you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, foreigners of the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. In relationship to what Paul is describing here, many of the Jews thought of themselves as being pure and clean simply because of their national heritage or their religious ceremonies, such as being circumcised and such. But that didn't cut it. Paul points out that, that both Jew and Gentile alike are unclean before God. All have sinned before God, need to be cleansed by Jesus Christ. And in order to realize how great a gift of salvation we have, we need to remember how life uh, is before we know Jesus, without hope, without God, separated from him, in fact, excluded from that promise. But then Paul describes what they are now that they have come to Christ. He goes on to say in, in uh, Ephesians 2.13, but now, remember he described what they were, now he says, but now in Christ, you who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's why Jesus came, to bring us into fellowship with God, the Father. Christ has done for us what no one else could do. Salvation is ours by faith as a gift of God's grace, and that's not some wishful thought. He is our hope of eternal life. Remember this hymn that you probably sang at one time or another? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. In other words, I dare not trust myself, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. He is our hope. No one is hopeless if they know the God of hope. Jesus is hope, the one who controls all things. In fact, describing that, Paul says in Colossians 1, listen to the word from Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He, he's referring to Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in, and in him all all things hold together. Quite a verse. Jesus is our hope. We need hope. Many things we pursue in this life, such as possessions, money, a job, our house, success, are good things, but will not fully fulfill our lives. Why? Because they're temporary. And we are created eternal beings. Once we leave this world, there's an eternity awaiting for us. It only makes sense for us, therefore, to put our hope in that which is eternal, not just temporary. And our eternal God has made that possible for us through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith and hope are related. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. Hope is a peaceful assurance that something that hasn't happened yet will indeed happen. No doubt about it. We can be certain of it because of who says it. God says it. The relationship between faith and hope could be illustrated by uh, the joy that a child feels when his father tells him he's going to 
take him to the amusement park tomorrow because they have a relationship with father-son. The child believes it will happen based on his father's word. He trusts his father. That's faith. At the same time, that belief kindles a joy in the child that, that's produced by hope, the expectation that what the father has promised will happen. He will go to the music park tomorrow. Without faith, there's no hope. Without hope, there's no faith. True faith, anyway. Christians are people of faith and hope. Through faith in God, Titus says it this way, through faith, we have the hope of everlasting life, which God, who does not lie, again, the assurance that he tells the truth, he does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Even before time began, God had in mind what would take place. He knew ahead of time. As believers, one day we will be with Jesus forever. How do we know? Well, the promise of God. And certainly the act of God that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That's the basis of our faith as believers in Jesus. Without the resurrection, the Bible says our faith is useless. Listen to the word from 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Let me repeat that. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Then we also have the promise that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 19. He said, because I live, you too shall live. That is certainly our basis for hope. Hope grows stronger when we discover what God has for us, for our future. Hope also grows as we depend upon God in our difficult times here on this earth. First century Christians, for example, suffered greatly for their faith. As they trusted God, their hope grew. We too can rejoice in suffering, not because we like pain and suffering, we certainly don't, but, but because we know that God can use these things to build our character, to strengthen our faith, to, to remind us of the hope that he has given us for the future. So in a positive way, from God's perspective, hopelessness is an opportunity to trust in him. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt hopeless? And if so, what did you do about that? Well, however you respond, know that you are not alone. David, King David, felt hopeless. He was scoffed. He was mocked. He was insulted. He was humiliated. He was chased. He was hated. He was pursued. And yet, through it all, he trusted God. Listen to his words from the psalm he wrote in Psalm 27, just a few uh, verses. He begins this way, Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, th they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then will I be confident. So far, he's shared a number of things that he's going through. He goes on, and I'm going to skip to verse 12. He goes on to say, Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise against me. 
breathing out violence. I am still confident in this. You hear his word? He's confident. He's sure. He has this hope. I'm still confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. David had gone through a lot and yet he trusted God. He had not lost hope. He was, he was certainly in great danger, but he did not lose his hope. Neither should we. We may be tempted to do that, to turn away, to give up, to stop trusting in God. And there are two common responses, maybe more, but I mentioned two to hopelessness. That is despair and self-indulgence. In a book that's out of print now about depression and despair, the author Roger Barrett described depression in this way. He said, depression is a wretched experience that leaves you exhausted uninvolved and in deep hopeless despair you feel doomed trapped and awful you wouldn't think that that would apply to any of the prophets of god but certainly uh, the old testament prophet elijah a strong powerful man had his, had this exact thing happen to him being pursued by the wicked queen jezebel who wanted to kill him he finally cried out to God. And here's what he said in 1 Kings 19, 4. He said, it is enough, he said. Now, Lord, he said, take my life. He'd come to the end and he couldn't take anymore, it seemed. And that's, of course, really, really bad. Here was a cry of a despondent man. Others like Job in the Bible and David knew a similar agony, but all of them emerged with a stronger faith, a deep sense of hope. There is a way out. All is not lost because they trusted in the Lord. There's a story, just a story, told of an angel who was sent by God to inform Satan that all his methods used to defeat Christians would be taken away from him. And the devil pleaded to keep, to keep just one. He said, let me keep depression, he said. Well, thinking this was a small request, the angel agreed to that. Satan said, good, he said, as he laughed, in that one gift, I have secured all of them. You see, Satan would love to defeat us in a hope-starved condition. Without hope, depression can be rooted in spiritual or mental or physical causes, and we should not, we should not be afraid to seek godly counsel or medical help. But ultimately, we need to see that we need the help of God who loves us, who longs to shine his light through the darkness that surrounds us. He is a God of hope, not of despair. And our hope is based not on wishful thinking, but upon the certainty that God is faithful to us and will follow through. In the Old Testament, going back to the Israelites who chose to disobey God and they were scattered among their enemies, God didn't give up on them either. He still gave them hope. He gave them opportunities to repent, to return to him because his purpose was not to destroy them, but his purpose was to help them. And they needed to respond back to God. He does the same for us today in our day-to-day -day experiences and hardships that are sometimes for us very overwhelming. Unless we can see that God's purpose is to bring growth in us, we may despair and lose hope. We may grow weary and we may give up in the midst of discouragement. 
God still comes to us. He still calls to us. He still speaks to us. And above all, he says, I love you. I have a plan for you. It's a good plan, a plan to give you hope, a future. He goes on from that verse in Jeremiah by saying, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Great confidence we can have in knowing that God is listening to us as we come to him. And so retaining hope in our suffering shows that we understand that God is merciful. He relates to us in our, in our uh, difficulties, that God will make a way when there seems to be no way. I believe there's a song that, that shares that. God will make a way when there seems to be no other way. And we want to share another character in the Old Testament that we think of suffering. When we think of suffering, that, of course, is Job. Didn't appear to be any way out for Job. He had a life filled with uh, possessions and, and people around him who loved him. He was suddenly assaulted and devastated and stripped of it all. He lost it all. But his life had been built on faith and hope in God, and he endured. Well, more than endured, he prospered, it says, even greater than he was before. The good man who suffered for no apparent reason, whose friends, his friends, told him to curse God and die. Some friends he had. Our world is like that, too. Only God knows why things happen to us as they do. We don't always know why things happen. And so we submit to him as Lord. For example, when we see a criminal prospering or an innocent child who's in great pain, we say that's wrong. And it is. Sin has twisted justice, made our world unpredictable and ugly. And in Job's case, as he was in the midst of suffering, he didn't hide his grief. He let his emotions come out. So he tore his robe, he shaved his head to show his grief, but still he worshiped God. Interesting. We're told in Job chapter 1, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He didn't understand why. Others thought he should just give up, but he did not. He did not despair. His hope, his faith was in God. God's ultimate purpose was to help and God promises us hope and a future in our midst of our difficulties. He is faithful to his promise. Many, unfortunately, give up, sometimes leading to mental illness and for some even suicide. Some are centered on self and pleasing self, not interested or not knowing about the perspective that God has for them. Well, know this, that God's perspective for us is eternal. It's not temporal. It is not dependent upon this world and what it has to offer. It's what he has provided for us, especially in a Savior named Jesus Christ. What a hopeless thing it is to only worry about the here and now. What happens when you die? As we all will one day. Will Paul said this to the Thessalonians, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, meaning die, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. No hope. What a sad thing it is to have no hope, no promise of eternal life. But praise God, Jesus is our hope. Jesus, God in human flesh, 
has come to bring us salvation and forgiveness of our sins and hope for eternal life. Advent helps us understand what we have received in him. He came to bring us life. That's not wishful thinking, that's certainty. There was, as I close for today, there was a little girl, four years old, her name was Susie, who was visiting her grandma and she asked her grandmother, she said, Grandma, what happens when I get bigger? And the grandma said, well, you go to school and you learn lots of things about life and how to do certain tasks. Well, then what? Well, then you go to school. Um, you graduate eventually from high school and you either go to college or maybe you get a job. Oh, well, then what? Well, eventually you may get married. Well, then what? Well, then you may have children and watch them grow up. Well, Grandma, then what? Well, then you retire and you enjoy your years as a retiree with all your grandchildren. Well, then what? My grandma said, well, eventually, she said, you'll, you'll die. Well, Grandma, then what? Grandmother said, well, then you hope you go to heaven. Now, that seemed, that answer, that Grandma wasn't quite sure. But when you know Christ Jesus, you can be sure of your hope that you will go to heaven, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you know him? Do you know that hope, Jesus, our hope? Are you on your way to heaven? If not, I invite you to invite him into your life today and grow as a Christian. It is a wonderful hope that we have in our Savior. His name is Jesus. Let's pray and thank him. Jesus, we know that our hope comes from you. You give us the certainty of life, eternal life with you. And because you rose again, because you rose from the dead, you promise that we one day shall also. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose. You promise us life everlasting. For those who may not have trusted in you as their Savior and Lord, I pray that today will be the day that they come to know you and trust in you, to have that certain hope of everlasting life that you have promised to those who believe. Thank you, Lord, for that great word to us. It is sure, it is certain, it is our hope, just as you are our hope. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.